Education alleviates poverty. It opens doors and breaks down walls. In New York City, there is a variety of different types of education, from specialty schools, to wonderful public schools, to incredibly underfunded schools, and to charter schools. On today's episode of Substances, Josephine Bush speaks with Rebecca Geary, the director of the School 3 location of the South Bronx Classical Charter School. She speaks about the importance of giving a quality education to kids who live in very impoverished areas, as education is the answer and an opportunity to move out of poverty. Although the South Bronx are only a mile from the Upper East Side, they are worlds apart. The Upper East Side is comprised of affluent families and flourishing businesses. On the other hand, according to a recent Guardian article, 40% of all people live under the poverty line, and the median household income for a family of four is approximately 23,000 US dollars. How do you solve this? The answer is a good education, and in the South Bronx, charter schools have been what many families are turning to in order to support their children and in turn, give them a better way to a better life. by telling me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. Um, well, I uh, grew up in Manhattan um, and um, came back to the city after I graduated college um, and um, started through the journey in education. Um, right now I am the school director at South Bronx Classical 3 and 4, um, but uh, I began as a high school um, teacher in the South Bronx um, at a regular public school. So I have sort of the perspective between a typical public school um, in the Bronx and then, you know, the charter school um, model instead. Um, I started teaching in a program called uh, New York City Teaching Fellows, which is pretty similar to TFA, which is a little yeah. bit more well-known, but um, basically the idea of people who didn't have a master's but wanted to get into teaching um, and signed up to be um, in a New York City public school. Okay, so you mentioned having worked at a public school for a while and now working at a charter school. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about just like the difference of how a public school operates, especially in the context of New York, and then also a charter school? Sure. Um, so I think one of the things is that there's like a huge variety in all of those categories. So, right. um, you know, the district public schools um, vary vastly between the different schools, as do the charter schools. Um, the specific environment that I was in was... Um, a really small public high school um, back uh, one of the things that um, Bloomberg okay. <laughs> that Bloomberg and Joe Klein did was um, start a lot of smaller uh, high schools their model was that they wanted to break down these really really huge thousand people high schools and mm -hmm. have these smaller high schools so that there was like more individualized attention um, so I worked at one of those um, okay. but it was a brand new school um, and it was uh, sort of people would jump right in and there's not a lot of planning that goes in before the school opens. So it was really sort of figuring things out as it went. Okay. Um, and there wasn't a lot of um, uh, sort of global structure. So that's one of the things that's pretty different about a lot of charter schools, not all of, but certainly some where there's like that background of structure. So here there's like a lot of um, systems and just organization that has already been set up. Things like our curriculum has been completely outlined. Um, our behavior management system is consistent between classrooms um, and is really clearly outlined. Um, 
and all of that in a public school, or at least in this particular public school, was um, sort of up to teachers. So we were all writing our own curriculum and trying to figure out what we were going to be teaching. Um, each classroom had its own um, approach to behavior management. We didn't have like a school-wide system. So there was a lot of things that you were sort of just trying out on your own, um, which was pretty challenging because we were, most of us were so new that we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. So it was a little bit of a trial and error as we were. Right. And I'm sure that makes it hard to communicate to like the higher ups or like when there's no translation to what's going on in your classroom to something that's bigger that could make it difficult. Yeah. And it's, it's also just a different model where, um, you know, the principal um, was very much uh, running, she had, she ran the budget and, and so many different aspects that she wasn't really directly in classrooms. Um, we had an ass- assistant principal, um, but again, doing tons of different tasks, so there wasn't the same sort of focus on um, teacher development that we have here. So okay. we just have a bigger staff, so we have, you know, instructional coach role that's a completely dedicated to just being in classrooms and developing teachers, um, and by having a little bit of a larger um, support staff, especially in the smaller schools, we still have a pretty big support staff, um, we're able to get into those classrooms more Absolutely. and really support the teachers in there. Okay, wonderful. So, I mean, you definitely kind of touched on, like, how you were inspired to get into education, but there are many theories about education across the board. Can you kind of touch on what you think the theory of charter schools are and specifically here? At- sure. Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing about charter schools is it's really just the idea of having a little bit more freedom. So, um, you know, um, the way a charter school works is it's just a group of people who um, have written a charter that really outlines like their vision for a school mm-hmm. and there's a whole approval process through um, the state uh, mm-hmm. that decides which ones, um, you know, have thought through it well enough and have people on board that are going to be successful. Um, so within that specific charter, schools have very different visions. So there's right. some charter schools that are very much focused on the arts or very much focused on sports. Um, and um, so I don't think there's a universal sort of vision for charter schools globally, um, other than that idea that there is that sense of freedom. So. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about really what do you think education should look like in your classrooms um, and a little bit more freedom in terms of how you go about that. So what does your schedule look like? Um, The majority of charter schools aren't part of the union and so that gives us a lot of freedom of uh, the Mm -hmm. hours that we work, as you know. Um, We work a lot more hours and so um, we have a lot of freedom of how we schedule because we are not part of the union and don't have to follow the union schedule. Um, So I think the main sort of universal thing is that sense of um, a little bit more freedom of how you go about education. Um, they do still all have the same deliverables at the end, so both charter schools and public schools or district schools need to meet the same benchmarks in terms of the same standards uh, of New York State and the same testing of New York State. What is important to talk about in relation to charter schools is the fact that while they perform only slightly better than regular public schools, a certain subset of them serve overwhelmingly black and poor students. These students do much better in this setting than public schools. How do we know this? Comparing how the lottery system works in oversubscribed charter schools, looking at test scores, high school graduation rates, and college attendance rates of students who win versus losing at the lottery system is the perfect experimental setting for how effective charter schools can be. Um, Our particular model, um, which is aligned to some of the other charters, different charter networks out there is definitely one of um, sort of that sense of like really globally pursuing um, excellence and I think that's uh, not just excellence in comparison to the district but really like what is excellent education and really Mm -hmm. pushing towards that sense of like this rigorous excellent education that we think would be on par with 
um, the best schools in the uh, city, the best schools in the state. Um, and that's a work in progress, like, you know, um, as probably all schools feel, we're not there yet, but that is the goal. Um, and so our approach is really focusing on like uh, rigorous um, education where we're trying to get scholars to learn as much as possible. Um, and then uh, we believe that the best way to do that is uh, by having a really structured setting so that the lessons are structured, um, the behavior management's very structured so that um, all those distractions that happen um, often in schools and a lot of those sort of wasted time um, goes away and we can really maximize the amount of learning. Um, and that happens from kindergarten all the way up and so they really do learn to like move through their day really quickly so that then they have so much learning time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this month's theme is about walls, and it's about walls across the board. So, like walls actually like between places, like Palestine and Israel, or other walls, invisible walls, and across, especially New York, but across the United States, there are many invisible walls. Uh, for instance, just institutionalized racism, systematic various ways that people are put in dilemmas and they face challenges every single day and education is one of those places where there are, are a ton of walls. Can you speak a little bit about how you think education, especially a structured environment like a charter school, can offer solutions to issues like this? Sure, yeah, I definitely think um, education really is one of those areas that just highlights um, the disparities that exist um, across the country and especially in New York. Um, are, Mr. Long, the executive director, always talks about the idea that between um, Upper East Side of Manhattan and where our school is located in the Bronx is the um, largest difference in um, uh, economics in anywhere in the country. So the mean um, you know, family income in the Upper East Side versus here is the biggest difference at any place, and it's only a 30-minute subway ride, mm -hmm. so it's really, really close. Um, the new building we're building, you can literally see it, yeah. so it's very nearby, um, but yet it has a huge, huge gap in terms of economics, um, and with that comes um, also a really huge gap in terms of education. Um, so I think uh, there's an incredible need to improve education in these areas, um, and there's so many different ways you can think about how to measure education and that's a complex uh, topic on its own mm -hmm. of like how do you measure a good school um, but certainly one way is the test scores and so I think um, looking at the test scores in um, the district that we're in really just speaks to that um, it's not working that the scores are really really low um, I looked up the uh, last year's third grade because uh, we have a third grade for the mm -hmm. first time this year and last year's third grade um, in this district, so the same exact neighborhood, had a 24% pass rate. So only 24% of the kids passed the third grade test. Um, Are they retained in a public school because of that, or what is the process exactly? Uh, they're not. Um, so that's something that changes um, depending on um, the views of the mayor in terms okay. of like how much we weight um, test scores. Okay. Um, right now, the um, current administration... Uh, feels that um, you shouldn't use test scores alone. And so if the scholars okay. are very, very low, like bottom of the group, so I think it's maybe bottom 10% in the whole city, okay. then they're retained. But okay. most of it's like based on looking at portfolios and global scores. So there's a lot of kids okay. who end up getting promoted um, who scored very, very low on these okay. um, state tests. Um, so yeah, ELA is at... English is at 24% and math's at 27%. So I think those scores just really say like, that's not working. Um, that's not success, and certainly if the third grade test is that hard, um, the numbers go down each year because the test right. gets harder, and, and yeah. you're not successful and able to read at the third grade level, you're not going to be successful at an eighth grade level. Um, 
And charter schools uh, have a huge range of scores, but there's a very large component of charter schools that are far outperforming their district. And I think it really shows that, one, there's a need, and two, they're working, or at least they're um, getting closer to working. So, um, Right, they're offering a solution in a very broken system. Yeah, that's important so like to school, know. school no. one um, last year had a... 88% pass rate in ELA for third grade and an 80% in math. So those are like vastly, vastly different scores. Um, and our hope is that we can really get 100%. That's like we're not happy at those 80s, but um, when we're comparing it to the district, it's a far different um, situation and a far different um, success rate. So I think uh, I think globally, I, I don't think anyone can argue that schools right now in the Bronx are not working. Um, there are some strong... Uh, district public schools, but there's a far um, greater number of successful charter schools, and they're offering this opportunity and this difference. Um, and I think the parents really speak to that as well. We always have like a huge wait list um, of parents wanting to um, come to our school. Uh, it's really sort of heartbreaking. They'll stop by the main office um, when they're on the wait list and like check in day after day, and often they're like... 900 on the wait list, so they're not going to make it. Um, and really seeing like how excited and thankful they are when they do uh, get a seat is really speaking to the parents themselves, knowing that there's a difference between different schools in, in the neighborhood and really wanting their children to get the best choice. Something that charter schools help to show is the prevalence of the racial achievement gap in the United States. What is that exactly? This racial achievement gap refers to educational disparities between various ethnic groups. It can show up when certain students of Black and Hispanic heritage are more likely to receive lower grades, score lower standardized tests, drop out of high school, and might be less likely to complete college than whites. Sean Reardon, a professor at Stanford University's Graduate School of Education and one of the nation's leading experts on residential and educational segregation, had this to say. The issue isn't that sitting next to a poor kid makes you do less well in school. It's that school poverty turns out to be a good proxy for the quality of a school. They're in poor communities, they have less local resources, they have fewer parents with college degrees. They have fewer two-parent families where there are parents who can come spend time volunteering at the school, and they have a harder time attracting the best teachers. So, for a lot of reasons, schools serving poor kids tend to have fewer resources, both in economic and social capital terms. Right, and knowing that it's an opportunity that they might have not had. Yeah. Because I think during our email conversation, you said that like a variety and most scholars have not had parents that have graduated from college. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that and just like how maybe these children might be their first generation college students, which then in turn may lead them outside of the Bronx? Yeah, definitely. Like a college, um, the path towards college is like a huge component of our school and our and our mission. Um, classrooms are named by colleges. They have college cheers. There's college posters everywhere. From um, four and a half, they know that that, that is where they're headed. Um, and I think that that is really key. Just sort of mindset of yeah, we have a lot of work and it's going to be hard, but that's where we're going and we're mm -hmm. going to make it. Um, one thing that is wonderful to see is a lot of our parents are currently going back to college. So we have awesome. a lot who are in you know, night school and doing you know multitasking and doing yeah. work in college, um, which has been um, just wonderful for them, but also I think really exciting for the kids to see. They oh, yeah. go home and the kids are doing their homework and yeah. their mom's doing their homework, um, and they're really excited about that path towards that college degree. So that is something that I um, didn't see when I was working in the Bronx, like, five, six years ago, but more and more it seems like uh, a lot of the parents are now starting to go back. Um, I think the 
the one that's harder is the um, newer immigrant parents who um, you know are struggling with the language and you know aren't at that place where they're they're pursuing their education yet um, and so those are um, some of the families that we that we just struggle to figure out how best to support because mm-hmm. if sometimes we don't speak the language that they speak either and so um, how to help them help their children is always a challenge. It is sending resources home that hopefully the kids can like use by themselves yeah. or like absolutely yeah. there's something. You kind of touched on like the lottery system and how kids are waitlisted. Can you speak a little bit about like sometimes the common critiques of charter schools are that it's solely data driven or that kids are cherry picked that drive up data points. Can you speak to like a little bit of your perspective on that? Sure. So in terms of the lottery, it really is um, just a lottery. So uh, the way that works is parents simply fill in an application. It just asks for their address. That's all the information we get. And it's just a lottery system. We give preference um, to students that live in our district, which is um, uh, universal across um, New York City. And so um, students that live in District 9 have um, first choice to get in. Uh, The only other preference we give is to siblings. So if they have... um, a sibling here, then they automatically get in off off of the okay. kindergarten list. Um, other than that, we do not have any other um, weighted preferences. Um, some charter schools have uh, weighted preferences in terms of um, things like actually um, preferences for students with disabilities or preferences for students who are English language learners. Um, but there's never an opportunity to have like preferences away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, and there's a real push and um, emphasis that uh, the city and the state look at to make sure that charter schools are meeting around the same um, averages as their district in terms of the percentage of students with um, IEPs, um, special education needs, and students who are English language learners. So, um, and then the only other piece that is true is that um, charter schools can um, have a certain model in terms of what like class sizes they have or what special services they can provide in-house um, and so there are some s- services that some simply um, are not covered in charter school so an example would be um, if a student is supposed to be in a class of eight students with two teachers that's called like or an eight students and one teacher eight to one right. ratio um, most charter schools don't have that in their model they just don't have the resources um, to have that yeah. and so if a student has that on their um, individual education plan then it wouldn't they're still allowed to go to charter school they're welcome to to attend, but we wouldn't have that service. So, Do public so, schools have that service? There is. Um, the way that works is there's at least a few in um, the um, larger district okay. that have it, and so instead of necessarily being at your most local district school, okay. you get assigned to the one that has that service. Okay, so you go to the one that offers it. Yeah, okay. but there would be, there is an opportunity to get that. So that's okay. really the only like actual legitimate point of like, well, they have some students have that have more severe disabilities than charter school students, okay. um, but beyond that, um, they're really the same kids in the same neighborhood with pretty similar backgrounds. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess, is there anything else you'd like to add just about education globally, about just breaking down walls or making education better opportunities for people so it is something that hopefully in years is not something that, based on your zip code, yeah. you're getting... Yeah, I think, I think the main thing is just like, so much of the conversation around charter schools is often like very political just in terms of like your personal views or your sort of intellectual views on what free education should look like or um, American government. But I think in the end, at least for me, my passion is just for these little people that we have yeah. in our school um, and really, really committing that I want them to be successful. And um, it's really 
been exciting to shift from high school down to elementary school where like they're learning to read and mm-hmm. you see it every day like they're really learning to read and you cannot be successful in life if you can't read in Absolutely. this day and age um, and especially around like real college readiness so not just like yes I graduated high school but am I ready for what college is about to bring because that is a lot harder than a lot of the high schools out there um, so I guess in my mind my focus is using the data to see which schools are actually getting the kids to learn to read and to be successful. Um, And the state test is one way, but there's lots of other things we can do to determine that. But in the end, kids need to be able to learn to read. Kids need to be able to learn and like love learning as well. And the schools that are doing that well, whether it's like a charter school or district school need to happen and have more of them. And you know, those, those structures need to be replicated and, um, we need to figure out a way for the schools that are not successful to either transform or close or whatever it is so that every student in the Bronx is actually learning what they should be learning at the age that they should be learning. Absolutely. That's my thoughts. <laughs> Thank you so much. Do you have like a personal success story that you'd want to share at the end of all of that? Oh, anything? Uh, well, yes. I think, I think the, um, it's just been, when you open a new school, um, the first year you take in kindergarten and first grade. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the first graders were not with us in kindergarten. So okay. they often come in very far behind. Um, and so uh, there are, are that first cohort of first graders is our current third graders. Okay. So they're um, everyone in the school's favorites, really, because we saw them come yeah. in as a lot of them were... Um, five levels behind in their reading. Um, They're supposed to be an E reader at the beginning of first grade and they were A readers or even AA readers. They couldn't read. uh, They were reading at the very beginning of kindergarten. Um, And uh, it was really exciting to see by the end of the year that every single one of them was on grade level at the end of the year. So it took like tons of work and they were reading at home and reading in school and reading at lunch. They were reading all the time. Um, (laughs) But it really was just exciting to see these kids who were on a path towards not being on reading level and not Mm -hmm. being successful on the state test. And now, hopefully, fingers crossed, in um, March, but they're really ready for their grade level work. And so um, it was such a fun year to see that and so proud of my whole staff for, like, the work they put in to get those kids there. Um, And, yeah, it's exciting to see what you can do in one year and knowing that, like, that's going to be carried over for the years that they're here with us. Absolutely. Even in six weeks, you see just like everything change. And yeah. It's so exciting. Really amazing yeah. what they can, how fast they can learn and Absolutely. how excited they are to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Changing education and making a future that's more prosperous will have to come down to policy changes and addressing systemic racism from a governmental level. However, for now, the one answer to a broken system is charter schools. Thank you so much for interviewing. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. We'd love to hear your insights on education, so please forward us any comments and thoughts by contacting us. You can subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcasting app that you might find. And check out some of our articles on our website at www.sub-stances.com.